Our second lesson will serve as the basis for both our children's devotion and our sermon this morning. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy and does not boast. It is not proud. It does, does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. <clears throat> when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Good morning. How are you guys today? It's good to see you. Thanks for coming up. Today I want to talk to you about a very big word. The word is hyperbole. It's kind of fun to say too. Can you say it with me? Hyperbole. Now I'm guessing that most of you don't know what hyperbole is. Hyperbole is when you use big words to overstate your case. So in other words, you're going to say something's much bigger than it actually is to try to communicate how big it actually is. Okay. So let me give you an example. Last week was pretty hot, right? For May anyway, right? It was in the 90s last week. I enjoyed it. Did you guys enjoy it? Hyperbole would be if you were to tell someone it was like a million degrees outside. Was it actually a million degrees? Not even close to a million degrees, right? But you, you say it's way hotter than it actually is to try to convince people that it was really, really hot, right? But some things are beyond hyperbole. That means they're so big, you literally cannot exaggerate them. Let's use the stars, for example. Let's say it's a beautiful, clear 
dark summer evening and you can see stars like you've never seen before. If you said to somebody, there was like millions of stars. While millions is a really big number, that actually would not be hyperbole. You know why? Because there's way more than a million stars, right? If you said there's billions of stars, you wouldn't even be close. If you said there's trillions of stars, you still wouldn't be even close. There are so many stars... You cannot exaggerate it. It's beyond hyperbole. The reason I'm bringing this up is the focus of our sermon today is the Apostle Paul telling us something that is beyond hyperbole. It is so great, we cannot exaggerate it. Today we're going to learn about love. We're going to learn that selfless love, love that thinks about other people, is so much better than when we try to think about ourselves, when we try to make ourselves look good. Jesus demonstrated perfect love so that you and I could be free from hell and spend eternity with him in heaven. And this means that selfless love is the best thing in the world. It is so much better than thinking about ourselves first. I hope this is going to make a lot more sense after our sermon today, but I want you to be thinking about hyperbole and beyond hyperbole. This is so great, we cannot overstate how great the love of God is. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, you loved us with a love that we can hardly fathom. Help us to better appreciate, to better understand the good news of your love for us. You loved us so much that you were willing to suffer our hell, to die our death on the cross, and now you live victorious over sin, death, and the devil. Help us to better appreciate your love today. Help us to love like you. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts. Be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our risen Redeemer. Amen. So this hyperbole stuff didn't just get pulled out of thin air. There's actually this little verse that links chapters 12 and 13 of 1 Corinthians together. It's the very last verse of of chapter 12. Where the Apostle Paul, most English translations say, and now I will show you the most excellent way. What Paul literally says is, now I will show you the beyond hyperbole way. And he uses the Greek word that gives us our word hyperbole, hyperbole. I'm going to show you a way that is beyond overstatement. It cannot be overstated. See, in, in Corinth... The church was struggling with something that you and I often struggle with as well. As we look at the gifts that God has given to individual Christians, we often see some as greater and some as lesser. And we see some as being more impactful and some being less impactful. And that might actually be true. Sometimes God does give gifts that are more impactful from an outward perspective and others that might be never noticed at all. 
But see, the problem was the Corinthians were using those gifts to, to rank themselves. Some who had the noticeably impressive, highly impactful gifts, they were placing themselves high on the importance ladder. And then, of course, there were those with insignificant gifts below them. And the opposite was also true. Those who had less impactful gifts would look up at those who had very impactful gifts and they would consider themselves inferior. And and without going into too much detail in 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul is basically saying, that's not healthy. (laughs) And that's not what God intended. He gave different gifts so that the body in its diversity would complement itself just like the role of this finger is different from the role of this finger and the role of this finger is different from the role of all the others. Every single part on the body has a different purpose. If they all had the exact same purpose, we would be missing out on a lot. The ones that appear the least are highly honored by God. The ones that appear the greatest are honored by God But the purpose of difference in gifts was not so that you could rank yourselves. Now I will show you the beyond hyperbole way, a far better way, a way better than what you're doing. Because what they were doing was self-glorification. They were using the gifts that God had given them to reflect glory back on themselves. Paul says, oh no, I have a much better way for you. And he begins to make his point in that opening paragraph by pointing out some of the more impactful gifts. The the ones that we might say, yeah, that's a great gift. Boy, the person who has that, highly respected are they. Listen to what Paul says again. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. I don't need to talk too much on this, right? This is clear. You you can have the most impressive gifts on the face of the earth, the gifts that God gives to people in his church that on the outward appearance have this huge impact. But if you don't have love, you're a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. You are nothing, you gain nothing. These gifts were not given to bring glory to the one to whom they were given. They were given for love. They were given for the others in the church, for acts of selfless love. In this next section of 1 Corinthians 13, what it does is it kills in us any desire for self-glorification. It it quite literally makes self-glorification impossible for us. Let's let's look at verses 4 to 8 again. Love is patient, Need we go much further? Who of us is perfectly patient? Not a one. Love is kind. Perhaps we're kind sometimes or most of the time, but who of us is always kind? Love does not envy, 
Love does not boast. Love is not proud. Are you convicted yet? It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. As we're going through this list, are we not just thinking of all these times in the last week when we have not perfectly shown love? Here's a good one. It keeps no record of wrongs. (laughs) That's a hard one. When people sin against us, it is very easy for us to remember all the wrongs and to keep a nice tidy list of those wrongs so that we can bring them out at the most opportune time to remind that person how awful they are. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And there our younger selves are brought to the mind. How often didn't we in our younger days, and maybe those of you who are there right now, Rejoice in the wrong things. Celebrate the wrong things. Rejoice in what's nothing but wickedness and evil and hate what's true and and good. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. I've heard it said in in many a, a relationship counseling session, I've said it myself, The words always and never can be dangerous, right? You always do this. You never do that. We are told don't do that because those words are often not true. Usually it's not as bad as you think it is. But here, they're used in a positive sense. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres. Love never fails There's an eternal aspect to these words. Always, never. And I'd like you to consider today that words like always and never in this section are the only justification that God needs to convince us that we are truly worthy of hell. Always and never. God's standard is that high. He is this way. He is one who always perfectly loves and who never fails to love. And the simple fact of the matter is, beings who are not like God cannot be with God. He needs no more justification than that. This is why hell is necessary for sinners like us. We cannot be in the presence of a God who always perfectly loves, who never fails. It hurts. It hurts to come to grips with the fact that no effort at self-glorification will do. No matter how highly we think of ourselves, it is not good enough, not even close I hope the words are not repeated so often for you that they become meaningless. But in our confession today, on page three, we confessed to our God, I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved others as I should. I deserve your punishment both now and forever. It is our lack of always and never. It is our lack of perfect love that makes us worthy of being thrown out of God's presence forever.
And it's when we're here, in this place, considering our sinfulness, that God's love becomes the most impactful. I'd like to read these words to you one more time, but instead of reading the word love or the pronoun referring to love, I'd like you to hear your Savior's name. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not boast. Jesus is not proud. Jesus does not dishonor others. Jesus is not self-seeking. Jesus is not easily angered. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but Jesus rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects. Jesus always trusts. Jesus always hopes. Jesus always perseveres. Jesus never fails. It can become so familiar to us that the simplest preaching of the gospel, Jesus lived a perfect life for you. Jesus died your death. Jesus rose from the dead can become sadly meaningless. But brothers and sisters, those words could not have more meaning than they do. Jesus, who is perfect love, came into this world to be perfect love. Every moment of every day of his entire life. And he did that so that when he endured your hell and mine, he would be that innocent lamb of sacrifice that God promised for the sins of the world. Jesus always loved. He never failed. He did not deserve death. He did not deserve hell. And yet he switched places with us. He endured our hell. He endured our death on the cross. And now he lives victorious. And the Father glorifies him. The selfless love that Jesus demonstrated every moment of his life while he perfectly obeyed, while he innocently suffered and died, and while he rose victorious, that glory comes from outside of himself. It is the result of the selfless love that he showed to you and to me to rescue us from hell. That glory came from outside of him. The Father glorified the Son who demonstrated such perfect love for you and for me. And now as forgiven children of God, that glory comes to you and to me from outside of us. We are not glorified because we go home and live out this list of things that love is and things that love is not. We are glorified because of our Savior Jesus, because of his selfless love, which has removed all our failures and entrusted to us his perfect obedience. This glory that comes from outside is so beyond hyperbole, it's just beyond description. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. 
For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. Said another way, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. I've been here just long enough to to know many of your gifts. And they are many. They are also diverse. The gifts God has given to you, he has not given to you that you may be glorified because of the gifts. No, he's given you those gifts that you might love others. That you might show selfless love to the people here in this room with you today. To the unique individuals that God has placed in your lives and not in the lives of the people sitting next to you. Selfless love marches victorious over self-glorification. Paul's point here is that we will not see in full why God gave us the gifts that he gave us and why he gave the person next to us the gifts that he gave to them. We know that we are all a part of the body, Christ's body, the church, and that he is wise for doing what he is doing. Now we see in part, we may never see the whole picture. We may not ever understand fully here in this life, in this church, why God gave us the gifts he did, but you know this to be true. Jesus gave you the gifts he gave you for a reason. Not to glorify yourself, but to serve and love others. And so now this list, this list of things that love is and this list of things that love is not looks very different to you and to me. It's not a path to glory. It's the result of glory. It's the result of the glory that Jesus has given to you and to me through faith in him. It is the only way of life that makes sense for the Christian. Lives of selfless love. And so these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And this is so simple. Faith clings to the love of Christ. And we have no hope but the hope found in the love of Christ. Without the love of Christ, there is nothing for faith to cling to and there is nothing to find hope in. But thanks to the love of Christ, our faith clings to that one source of hope. The love of Christ beyond hyperbole. Amen.